Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago Sun-Times sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Elliot, another day, another show. I learned a valuable lesson today. Do not try to eat an Italian sub in the car while you're driving because you get grease all over. I was going to say, I didn't know that the uh, that Italy had a, a naval uh, vessels like that. Oh, you're talking a submarine sandwich? Submarine sandwich. I see. No naval. You lost your head. I did lose my head. I lost my head, too. Both of us have. Exactly. But yeah, you got oil all over. <laughs> On you, it looks good. I'm a greasy, fast Italian. Well, now you get that uh, magic marker that takes all that stuff off it. No, my cleaners told me don't use that because it's got bleach in there, and that'll bleach out the collar. I learned that on a pair of pants. So what did you do? I said I took that thing, that tied little yeah. pen, and yeah. erases everything. Well, they, yeah, it erases everything. It's bleach. Well, if you eat enough sub sandwiches, you'll have polka dot pants at some point. Exactly. But let's get to our first guest. She's a local. Well, it's it's Masters week. So we have to go golf. We're going golfing. And who better, you know, when I thought, okay, who, who do we get on the show to talk about a little golf? I, th- I thought we should go to our f- foremost golf expert, and the person who comes to mind is Cindy Morgan, who, <laughs> who everybody should remember from Caddyshack. And, okay, so she didn't have a lot of golf skills in the movie, but she has been known to play a round <laughs> of golf. Oh, brother. Is that what we're talking about? I got my Judge Smales hat on. Is this where I say, what are you wearing? <laughs> Hi, Cindy Morgan. How are you doing, guys? Good. I learned a lot about sub sandwiches and doing my laundry. I mean, this is a fascinating show. Yeah, yeah we sprayed <laughs> all fields. That's wonderful. Cindy probably knows eating about Polish sausage in the car, right? Absolutely. Actually, I always took it home. I mean, we would pick up our sausage at the Venlina over there on Milwaukee Avenue and bring it home. Yeah, but but I'm sure you can eat it in the car, too. My father didn't let me do that. He didn't, I'm sure he did it, though. Not really. I think that's a new <laughs> thing. About, People nowadays... About, you know, enjoying your meal. Right. But, you know, a good Italian boy, you must have had family that told you that. Exactly. So I see you're uh, from the area. Where did you go to high school? It says you went to 12 years of Catholic school. So which Catholic high school? Absolutely. Well, right in, on River Grove, uh, Mother Garen. Mother, oh. Mother Garen High School. In fact, I'm going to be there this summer doing a golf tournament, the alumni golf tournament. Oh, I grew up in that area, in River Forest. I went to Fenwick. When I, it thought, was... I thought you were going to say you grew oh, up yeah. at a girls' school. I, it was all guys when I went there. <laughs> there was an all-guys school next door, but uh, they Cross. all merged. Yeah, yeah, Holy Cross. And, and now they've sort of merged, and now it's Garen Prep. And I, and I get to come back from my high school. So the last page of the book is from Catholic School to Caddyshack and back again. It's How, how cool is that? I got to meet with them. Uh, and when did I see you last, Elliot? Was it November? September, whenever you were in town, I believe. Late September, October. That's right. It's been a while. You need to come back soon. I know. I miss Sweet Home Chicago. So is there a Caddyshack golf outing reunion every year, or what do they do to with the cast? No, 
No, I, I, I did one and one's enough. But, uh, you know, it'd be great. It would be great to get the cast back together. But what I'm doing is, is the book. And then Elliot saw it. He right. saw my iPad when he was in town. When's it coming out? It. It... I, Elliot, I've got a gun to my head. It needs to be finished, like, within a week and a half. And, uh, I'm really glad I got the time just to do it. I've got, uh, 1,700 behind the scenes images when we shot the movie. Can you imagine that? Who, so you took pictures or did you get them from the? No. Nope. Uh, one of the one of the crew members took pictures, and it's great. You've seen the movie, obviously. It's on the television who, like every five minutes. For me, it's like watching home movie because I was there. <laughs> I knew all those guys, and when I first saw it, I was like, "Oh my god!" You know, it was like seeing you know your your your, your drunk uncle and your goofy cousin and all these people running around crazy. So after a while, it sort of it sort of uh, became a vintage memory for me, and and now it's 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 great to be able to go back and say this was. 1979. Certainly, don't do this at home. But this is how this was shot, and this is what we're doing. What was it like working with Ted Knight? I mean, he seemed like he was all business and no monkey, <laughs> no fooling around. Was he like that on the set or no? Yeah, well, much more than anybody else. I got to be honest with you. He really was there with a the script. He tried to do the script. God bless him. He was the only one. <laughs> was I was going to say he didn't have much competition. Everybody else was doing everything well, else. He was Rodney Dangerfield would run and bug-eyed, like this bug-eyed comic juggernaut through the scene and just say whatever the hell popped into his head. Now, Ted used to being the funny guy. He ended up being straight man to Rodney, which was not his intention. Did Was the original intent of the movie for it to be more about you and Ted Knight and Chevy Chase, and did it all like switch with Rodney and Bill Murray? It was originally supposed to be about the Cathy's, more about the Cathy's. You know, um... The Murray Brothers is like, what, I don't know, 12, 14, 15 Murray Brothers. They're, you know, they're from Chicago as well. And Ed Murray was the oldest in this Irish Catholic family, and he actually was a caddy who won the caddy scholarship. He was the oldest of a bunch of kids, so he was the Danny Noonan character. And it was originally supposed to be about them and their competition. But when we got to the set, they had these brilliant improvisational actors, and luckily they followed him with camera because stuff was going on over there. So, you know, Chevy would just come in and start doing a scene. That piano scene when Chevy's playing the piano and, and snorts the salt and throws the tequila and breaks in the song, that not only wasn't in the script, it wasn't rehearsed or discussed ahead of time. I just sat down and he started playing. So it was kind of like Second City improv. Absolutely. Uh, but, but you have to stay on your toes. You have to know. I mean, luckily I come from a broadcast background in Chicago. And when out of my right eye I saw the red light on the camera, I went, you sons of... <laughs> you, you can say it. We're just on the internet here. You don't have to worry about the FCC. me off the screen. I had a big wad of gum in my mouth, and I blew a bubble in his face. So this is just it was, inspiration on the moment. Well, you know, if you guys have been in broadcasting, you know what goes on when the mic's off. Oh, exactly. That's when you get some of the best material when these people... Am I right, Elliot? Yes. You're always right. Okay. So Rodney Dangerfield... Someone told a story that basically he snorted a couple lines before he tried out for the show. That's what I heard, too. I wasn't there, but I wouldn't be surprised. You know, Rodney, he enjoyed himself as much and more than anybody else on, on the set. He had a wonderful time. When you hear all the stories about what went on behind the scenes, it's incredible that the movie ever got made. Oh, my God, yes. Uh, we, we, were, we, thought we were in a lot of trouble. I've got to be honest with you. There were times when I would, you know, slink into dailies in the back of the room and just sort of say, oh, geez, you know, this is all going back to the studio. What's going to happen? But luckily, we had a great editor. Luckily, we had people with vision. Luckily, you know, in the midst of all that chaos, they really were talented and they knew what they did. But it was like being struck by comedy lightning. You don't go out and plan on being struck by lightning. But if you are, 
and it goes right, you get really, really lucky. Um, you can't plan it, thus Caddyshack 2. <laughs> Did any of the originals, were they in Caddyshack 2? Because I only saw parts of it, it was so bad. I, I had trouble watching it, too. I, I mean, I really, it, it really had trouble seeing it. I, Chevy, I believe, was in part of it, but they thought they would put all of the elements together and it would just work. You can't just get a bunch of people together and, you know, get them juiced up and roll camera. That's not how things work. They actually have to, there has to be chemistry, and luckily we had that. And a lot of that probably had to do with everybody was excited, it was brand new, we were really having a good time, and these guys were trained to think on their feet. And luckily, I had enough broadcast background, and I got a good improvisational actor trainer named Harvey Lembeck. Elliot, you might know him. Sure, I remember the Um, name well. He's a very, very, he was a very talented man, and, and he taught me the one thing that nobody could teach me, and that's to listen. And in broadcasting, when you do all the talking, it's hard to listen, but luckily, my best work was when I let the other guys take the lead, and I followed along. Did you want to do the nude scene, or were you against it? be a matter of wanting it or against it. I was very uncomfortable with it because, I mean, you know, would you guys, you know, uh, just walk into something like that and feel comfortable? I don't know. They'd pay Probably us not to do it. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? They'd pay us not to do it. Exactly. <laughs> well, I don't know you personally, but I don't know. Anyway, anyway I'll uh, vouch for him. to me ahead of time that was a part of the film that the core demographic was 18 to 25 male. This was simply a seven-minute shot and it would be part of the film. And I went, all right, you know, not my first choice, but we'll go along with it. Now, when I went to the set and uh, they sent a photographer from Playboy, I have no problem with Playboy. I have no problem with nudity, but I have a problem with bullies. And one of the producers who, you know, he identified himself, John Peters, called me and said, uh, we're shooting the nude scene for Playboy. And I said, well, you know, thank you, but can't do it. Um, I'm the Irish spring girl right now, and there's a major conflict, but, uh, you know, thanks a lot. And he goes, you don't understand. I'm sending him anyway. So I called my agent in L.A. I was down in Florida shooting the film. I said, help me. And my agent said, honey, you're not a doe-eyed girl from the Midwest. Handle it. And I went, you bastard. And I said, fine. <laughs> I handled it and came back and fired him. In the meantime, I had to go to work. Second scene, first film. And I came in and I said, look, guys, it's just not going to happen. And they continued to, you know, go at me and rant at me. And I just said, you know, do what you want. It's just not going to happen. So Peter's called and started cussing me out and said, I'm t- he, he's, he broke my contract. He said, I'm taking away your paid ads. I'm taking away your billing. If you look at the DVD or the, the VH, they took my name off of it completely. They took away my introduction billing. They took away everything. And I said, so be it. But now I'm clearing the set. I want to see four guys. These are the old cameras. I want to see that focus fuller, that director of photography, Harold Ramis, the director, and that actor. Until I got, I got all day. Take your time. And I heard more cussing and swearing. And I said, clear the set. All those guys behind the drapes. All these people screwing around. I'm not going to work. You're burning daylight. You, you know, it's up to you, but you're never going to get this shot off. And finally, they, they, you know, they agreed to go to work. That's why I was there. So that was whether what the big fight was over, not about doing a nude scene. It was about all the other crap that came along with it. I mean, you know, this is this was just. I'm sorry. I've got good, strong Chicago values, and nobody's going to take that away from me. So are you up for another nude scene? <laughs> why don't you do one, Elliot? <laughs> well, we could do one together, but I think you'd have to Photoshop me out of it. And and the, I think your wife would have a few things to say. About <laughs> Shh! Don't tell her. I heard that yeah. you had to clear the owners of the golf course off the set when you did the whole gopher scene at the end because they had no idea what was going on, and they would have been totally against there was, it. There, there was no gopher scene on the set. The only gopher was a little hand puppet that showed up like once. The gopher sequence was shot after the fact. They got all the footage back to L.A., and they had these brilliant little comic vignettes. But the whole um, animatronic gopher thing 
happened, that John Dykstra did, happened way later because they got it back and they went, oh my God, there's no story because they threw the script away. So some genius sat down and wrote the gopher sequence and threaded it through the story with, with, with Billy chasing this animated gopher that pops up and does all these things. Uh, so that's how it got in there. There wasn't a gopher. But they did take the people off the set when they blew it up, which they did twice. They blew it up twice? Yeah, they mined it with gasoline, blew it up. The first day, I've got the shots from my book. I think I showed you. Yeah. You see everybody, all the actors going, ah, we're to Rodney goes, hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. And everybody runs toward camera, except for one person who's looking at this three-story fireball and the smoke that followed it. Just one load. That was me. I mean, everybody's thinking, <laughs> you know, I got a picture of me going, wait a minute. Somebody just blew the hell out of this golf course. It's three stories tall. Am I the only one who sees this? And you can see I was the only one looking at it. The next day, they mined it with gasoline again. I went, all right, that's it. I'm the hell out of here. You're in the scene. I, I, I said, I don't care. I'm going to be back at my room. You wouldn't even notice I'm gone. I got to start it, and I could still feel it and hear it. They blew it up twice. They painted it green and blew it up again. I got pictures of it. <laughs> well, and the pictures you have are pictures that people haven't seen before, the ones that are going to be in this book, right? What's that? The pictures that are going to be in your book are ones that people have not seen previously. No, nobody's seen these. No, no, no. They've been, they've been sitting around, uh, and somebody's... Uh, uh, closet for 30 years. Were you the first choice to play your character, or were they looking for someone else originally? I believe I was. Um, well, actually, there was somebody who was promised the role, and that was the girl who played the Irish um, maid. That was okay. that girl, um, Sarah Holcomb, was Brian Doyle Murray's girlfriend. She was the girl brought home in the in the shopping cart in Animal House. Yes. Yeah. Okay, you know that. That's Sarah Holcomb. She became Brian Doyle Murray's girlfriend. He wrote Caddyshack with a couple other guys, and he was she was promised the role of Lacey. So I got the job, and then the job was gone, and then I got it again and gone. So there was a little bit of tension there on the set, but um, I never thought I'd get this job. I had no idea why they cast me, to tell you the truth. But you know, when I read the script, I went, all right, this isn't me, but were I to be this superwoman, this is what I would do. And I went and I read. I had nothing to lose. I didn't think it would be a big deal. Well, I, when I finally came in on the third read, I saw I was the only one there to read for the part of Lacey. That's when I got nervous, because I thought, these, these maniacs are taking this seriously. But I thought, if I could just do one thing, and I looked, I, I just said, I hope it's a guy I'm reading this, and it was. It was Doug Kenny. I said, all I have to do is look him in the eye and make that guy sweat, and then I'll get this job. And I did. I looked, I, when I read with Doug, and he started to sweat, I knew I had the job. Okay. Now, do you rec recognize more for Lacey Underall or for Tron? Tron has just jumped off the map. I mean, five years ago, people would, you know, in The Simpsons, there's a joke that The Simpsons cartoon, hey, have you seen Tron? No, have you seen Tron? No. You know, they have a very loyal following and a very strong niche, and it used to be all about Caddyshack, but now Tron has just gone into another dimension because they came out with a new film, and people behind it were, you know, very, very excited about it, and now because my character wasn't in the film, it actually gave people a voice to talk about it, and I was very happy with my broadcast background from Chicago to throw up websites so they have a place to have a voice. And it's uh, only two rules. Always be respectful of Disney and no whining. You know, and so, you know, so it's, it's good. They did a lot for me with that. So it's, it's, it's gone very well. Now, there was a movement. I just came back from a show in San Francisco, and all people wanted to talk about was strong. I was pretty surprised because usually it's Caddyshack. And they want to bring you back from the dead or wherever you went, right? I've been dead. I've been back. I, I, I was dead in the video game. I was back in San Francisco doing a live event in April last year. You know, and it's it, people, I don't know how many guys they got in that back room talking, but whatever it is, you know, when they're done and they pick a lane, I'll, I'll be here. <laughs> and I see you were on soap operas back in the early 80s when I used to watch Falcon Crest. 
Yes, that was so much fun to do. I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was a, soap operas is a different character and a different kind of acting, but they gave me a nice character who had a lot of passion and, and, and got to do things that nobody ever does in life. And I worked with some really amazing people and some great professionals like Jane Wyman. I mean, you wouldn't think, it's, it's wonderful working with somebody who understands how to, how to do their job by the rules. I mean, you guys must have worked with somebody incredible in broadcasting that you've always admired, and they're just so professional, so on the ball. I mean, it's just a gift to work with somebody like that. Yeah, I'm working with him now. David, <laughs> Dave, David tells exactly. me all the time how lucky I am to be working with him. Exactly. Did Jane and Wyman, I, when you work with her, ex-husband was president, did you ever bitch about Ronald and say, what the hell is the country doing electing him? She was incredibly professional. The only time we knew when any members of her family were around is that you know, you'd look up and somebody looked like they were cast from casting Central Secret Service guys would come in. I mean, they're <laughs> unmistakable. <laughs> you know, so we're like, okay, I guess Jane's got family on the set today. So but that was it. There was nothing. There was one scene where I, I walk in and she did something to harm my father, my father's memory. And I walk in, throw a newspaper down with the headlines up, and I slap her in the scene. And I said, you know, of course I go nowhere near her. I never even touch her. But, you know, there's a fake you do, you know, to, to, for camera. And I walked in and I said, look, you know, Ms. Wyman, I apologize in advance for what I'm about to do. And she said, oh, honey, don't worry about it. Just do your job. Okay. And uh, she was in- incredibly professional, well-mannered. Um, it was just, it was just, there was one day I had like maybe too big a role in, in this particular script that we had. And a lot of the actors got, a, they, they were just making a fuss and, and, they wouldn't let me. There was there was no seat for me to sit down at the table read, and it, you, you could tell it was like high school. And Jane got up and said, "I'll get Cindy a chair," and she made everybody wait. And she came back and I was like, "Holy God!" And she just handed me. She goes, "Now we can read." She was wonderful to work with, and I real I was really happy to see that. Okay. Now, besides the book and the golf tournament this summer, what else do you mm-hmm. have going on? I do some appearances at golf tournaments. I do, you know, you know, I, I'll, I'll come to a, an autograph convention occasionally, and those are nice to do. But the book is the main main thing because there's two coming after it, and I've got to stop everything and finish this up because enough is enough, and and I'm going to be delivering it um, in two weeks. The, the the final draft, it's ready to go. Every, I mean, it it took. It wasn't just writing it or putting it together with a graphic designer. Um, it was. You know, when someone does something like this, you have to make sure that everything you do is by the book. So I had to make sure all the rights were in order, all the actors. I learned things and words that I hadn't learned before, so I made sure that everything was done by the book. So um, now I can just go in and do my job, which is talking, which is what I like to do, obviously, and tell stories. Is uh, it true that Chevy Chase and Bill Murray did not get along and they had to separate them on the set? The, the, our understanding, the word on the set was that Chevy and Bill would not be there at the same time. Um, and uh, either Chevy was on the set, he was there most of the time. And when Billy came in for his six days or so, um, Chevy was going to go someplace else. There was one overlap of a day or two. And um, they got a call from L.A. that they were going to shoot a scene. So they wrote a scene that day. They all jumped into a limo and went to lunch and wrote a scene. And, uh, and what you saw on screen is what came of that that day. Excellent. Well, that scene where, where Chevy and Bill get into the uh, the the, uh, the greenskeeper's uh, back room and, right. and Billy's growing his turf and they roll up a cigar and they Chevy plays through. Sounds great. It was great talking to Cindy. Great. Thanks, guys. And well, I, I finish love that show. book. Good luck with it. Get that book what? finished. Get that book finished. I want to see it. You're not the only person with a gun in my head. <laughs> so I'm aware. I have and a water you know pistol. I'm looking- What's that? I'm using a water pistol. Don't feel threatened. Well, thank you. That's what I need, a little gentleness. And and, and I'm looking forward to it, and I'll make sure you hear about it when it comes through. Excellent. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Thank you.
That's the beautiful Cindy Morgan, star of Caddyshack, Tron, soap opera fame. Elliot, you did a great job winding her up. And you have done a great job of lining up a couple basketball Hall of Famers who we'll hear shortly. When we come back, we'll have a basketball Hall of Famer by the name of Harry Gallatin, who Elliot remembers playing, so he must be old. Definitely. You're listening to Sports and Torts. We'll be back in a few.